Well, hello everyone to another episode of the Culture and Cafecito podcast. This is episode 14, Culture and Effective Leadership. This is also the last episode of this season. On today's episode, I chat with James Silvis, performance coach and mindset specialist. James helps leaders, entrepreneurs, and athletes to optimize their performance in their lives and their work. During this connected conversation, James and I discuss leadership, what is a leader, what it takes to be an effective leader, and how leaders can shape culture and overcome imposter syndrome. Let's get started. James, how's it going? Hi, it's going great. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of the Culture and Cafecito podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks. I don't have coffee, but I got a, a nice little soda water here. Okay, nice. okay. <laughs> I already have my coffee this morning. Oh, no. I had, I had a coffee. I really can't function without it, so it's super important. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining me um, today on uh, the Culture and Cafecito. You know, I want to just introduce myself and what the podcast is about for your audience um, my name is Natalia Montoya Casanova. It's a huge long name. You can just call me Nati if you want. Um, <clears throat> but um, for those who don't know me, my name is Natalia. I'm um, in many things, but today I'm your culture coach and consultant. Um, my my business actually started kind of in the in the middle of the pandemic, and I'm super excited to to just have you on the show because obviously you've kind of witnessed my entire uh, process that's still going. Um, and I like to call myself culture coach and consultant, which is kind of a paradox of a name because, um, as you know, culture is a topic or something that I can't teach. It's in fact, um, culture is is definitely something that we co-create, right? Therefore, I'm simply a champion of culture. Um, and, um, and so I'm here with you uh, really to open up a conversation about what culture means to you as a leader, as a coach. Um, as someone who's like you know in the in the space really building leaders um, and so I'm super excited excited to have you here um, for background the culture and obviously the podcast um, was really an initiative that was born as a means of cultivating um, connection uh, conscious connection with people like yourself and really people of all industries um, to start to redefine what culture means and really have a genuine um, and really authentic con- um, conversation about how we each individually see culture but also how we can start to um, collectively, um, as leaders and as a team and as a community, start to reshape um, its definition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit about me and the podcast. So I'm super excited that you're here. Um, I'd love to hear about you. And um, yeah, please introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name is James Silvis. I'm a mindset specialist, and I help people think deeper, break through fear, and live life on their terms. I work with companies, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, leaders, athletes, really helping them understand their minds and optimize their life, whether that's finding more meaning, being a better communicator, uh, being a more effective leader or parent, or just growing their business, or in this case, strengthening their culture. So I feel very honored to be able to have worked with over 7,000 people from eight different countries and when you work with that amount of people, you do not have to be the smartest person in the room to know that there's patterns, patterns of thinking, patterns of being, patterns of doing things that create results. And so I've just been a student of what works. I continue to refine the process and share what has worked for myself and my clients. And um, the process never stops. I love what I do. And I love being able to give back in, in methods just like what we're creating here. So thank you for having me. Thank you, James. Oh my goodness, that's awesome to hear. I love hearing that directly from you. It's so powerful. Um, and I just want to uh, make sure that people know here, um, the, you know, the connection here. Um, for those who don't know, like I, I want people to know that you are and are were my coach. Um, and so part of the reason I I'm really excited for you to be here is because I found the work that I did with you so powerful in laying the foundation for what it actually means for me to be a leader. Um, and so, um, and so with that, I wanted to also just ask you kind of going into this idea of like what, what started your own journey, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, you know, how have you as a leader built team culture um, and, and how did it all begin, right? Because I know that um, it's been a journey, but I'd love to hear from you, like how did it start and kind of what has been the trajectory? Mm-hmm. So let's start with how it started. Uh, born into a family of four boys. My mom 
uh, is incredible. It's taught me so many important values, such as listening, patience, and empathy. My dad, one of nine kids, um, instilled in me very young discipline, uh, work ethic, competitive drive, and a willingness to just persevere and find something deep down that I didn't know was there. And so the combination of those, those beautiful qualities, I think, kind of morphed my leadership in ways that once I got into organized sports at the age of six, baseball and football mostly, um, really, you know, rising up to leadership level positions and, and really not taking that lightly, you know, and being a quarterback on a, you know, peewee team doesn't sound like a big deal, but I took it as a big deal. Like I am, I'm the leader of this team, not because I'm saying that I am, but because that's what people just looked up to me in that way. I would show up early. I would, you know, encourage people to work harder. I would um, listen to them when they needed someone to, to talk to. And I think all those skills over, you know, the course of my life, when I got into high school, really started to mold and, and blend beautifully. I was friends with everybody. Like, no, no, I was if you were in band club or you were a soccer player or you were, you know, in some other club that no one heard of, I was, I didn't care. Like you were a person, I could learn something from you. Let's yeah. If we have a symmetry or if we have something in common, let's be friends. And so, um, through just that diverse thinking and being able to connect with people, I, I noticed that I had the way that I was able to listen. I was able to give valid feedback to people when they needed it. And when I would give them the feedback, they would go and implement it and whatever problem they were going through or whatever struggle they were dealing with, um, they would say, Hey, what you said worked like, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And like, you need to do this for a living. And I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. Like, well, you could be a psychologist. You could be a psychiatrist. I'm like, nah, this is just me helping people. Right. So I kind of just dismissed it but I truly did care about helping people. And so that compounded over the years, then got into college, got some offers to play football, but decided that my heart wasn't in it anymore. So I went to UNLV in Las Vegas. They had a good kinesiology program, which is basically physical therapy, athletic training. And I figured that's the closest thing to sports. So let's do that. While I was there, I got a job at a physical therapy clinic in, in hopes that that's what I wanted to do. My junior year, I took a class mental performance with a four-time world-renowned mental performance coach. And this is where my journey began as far as thinking that I could have an impact in the profession that I'm in now. Like it was, I was sitting in class and I just remember being mind blown about the mind-body connection, about psychology and neuroscience and how the brain works and how we can either be our best friends or our worst enemies. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. This is incredible writing down notes. And it was the first time ever that I actually wanted to ask myself hard questions and then go back and understand why I am the way that I am. So I I started this self-discovery, self-awareness kind of uh, journey. And I would go and see that my professor who now is, you know, he doesn't know this yet. Uh, and I don't <laughs> know when this episode will come out, but he's basically the godfather to my child now. And and we're, we're collab, we're partners. We've written research part, uh, papers together. Like it's super cool. Our whole relationship has, has transformed, but, uh, I respect him immensely and I would go up to him after class and he'd be like, yeah, do this, study that, read this book, do that. And I would just learn and learn and learn. And then right around that time, I decided not to go to physical therapy anymore. got in the Las Vegas industry, working at the club scene. And I worked at wet Republic for two years slaving away and it was fun uh, slaving away may not be the best term but like it was hard work and it was eight months out of the year where you're working in heat the 117 degree heat listening to the best DJs in the world taking care of people who are drunk out of their mind doing things that you know they probably won't remember the next day right. it's wild right but the connection there is like you know people connection is huge yeah yeah it's it's insane and so um while i was there i got an opportunity to speak to the to the staff motivationally after telling them that that was my goal you know and the gm came up to me gave me that opportunity and that had never been done before and so as a result of speaking there once they asked me to continue speaking for the whole couple like the two seasons that i was there that gave me the confidence to say if i can speak to a staff here when that's never been done before, I can definitely take this other places. And I live in the strip. I live on the strip. I live in, 
you know, everyone wants to come here. There's so many possibilities. And so I put my two weeks in the GM supported me in this decision. And I went in, I door knocked, I door knocked places saying, Hey, my name's James Silvis. I can help your company. I can help your culture. I can help raise the morale so that you make more money and that everyone's happier at work and da, 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 da. And I just got rejected after rejected, after rejected, like, no, 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 no. Finally, uh, wanted to quit several times. And finally, someone gave me a chance. Got into a company, first interview, second interview, third interview, convinced them of a 30-day trial. They said yes. I worked with all 150 of their employees. I was in charge of their onboarding pro- pro- program and really helping all their staff elevate mentally. And uh, did so well in those 30 days that we signed a year contract that led to four years. And that was the foundation of my of my career is really just learning the infrastructure of companies, uh, how people think, like the disconnect that sometimes can happen between leadership and ground level employees and, and really getting to see I'm in these leadership meetings with these executives. And then I'm also in these one-on-ones with these ground level employees. So it was the perfect experimental like situation for me. And I was getting paid what I was making at wet Republic, which was really good money. So I was really happy. And, and that was kind of the basics of how I started. Wow. Oh my goodness. So from there, you know, that kind of takes us into to the culture conversation, but I want to throw that back to you and see if you have any questions or you want to take it somewhere else. Well, that's awesome to hear. Uh, well, you know, as you're speaking, I think what comes to mind is you, you talked about mind to body connection, super yeah. important for a leader um, to have. Um, I also heard a lot about perseverance, right? Like you going after what you wanted, despite the outcome or even like the, the, like what you were getting back. Um, and so, um, you know, what came to mind as you were speaking is kind of this idea that we're kind of like a microcosm of external. And so I'm curious to know, is like, as you were exploring your own mind to body connection, how did that play out in the work that you were doing, if at all, you know, um, did you experience any, um, you know, as you were learning about yourself, um, what did you, what did you come away with in your own life that was also kind of being reflected back at you in the work that you were doing? Hmm. I think the, when, at that time, some of the biggest realizations were just how much influence your parents or your childhood has on who you are. Mm-hmm. And it keeps hitting you in waves, right? Like maybe the initial wave of how you were raised affects you, hits you a certain way when you actually start asking questions for the first time, which is what I was doing then. You know, like what qualities do my parents have that I have? Okay, they're cool. There's some similarities there. Or, you know, maybe I grew up in an environment or had an abusive parent or had a situation when I was younger. I know that I didn't like it. I know that it was painful, but I haven't necessarily processed it, right? So then, so that's like the initial stage. Then you actually go into it. Maybe you work with a therapist or you work with a coach and that's like the next level. And then you have kids, which, you know, I, you know, I have my first kid, Aiden, he's almost a year. And now like different things keep hitting me. Like how, how do I want to raise him? And then sometimes catching myself with my dad used to do that to me. So do I want that to be a trickle down? Like, obviously there's some great qualities there, but also there's some room for improvements and some refinements. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for example, uh, my dad, I think my, well, I walked when I was nine months years old, right? Nine months. And Aiden is now almost a year and he can take like five steps, but he's not walking full blown. Right. And so my competitive side is like, I walked at nine months, you should be able to walk. (laughs) And so I, I'm like, you know, for a couple of days, I was like really trying to, you know, work on his walking, his stability and all of that so much so that he could like be better than me. But in that moment, I had to catch myself and say, you know, there's a process to everything, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you speed up the development of a child's walking gait, you can rob him of essential core muscles that still need to be built in order for him to stabilize himself as he walks, Mm -hmm. right? And that's some of the things that some other parents have told me. I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Okay, yeah, I got to like really be mindful of where this competitiveness of like, oh, you got to beat me comes comes. in and have the mindfulness there. So that's just like a little example. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, 
it and like as you're thinking and speaking you're again coming back to that mind-to-body connection and you're seeing how that applies even to your baby right, <laughs> you know? right. yeah yeah um, so what you're saying is ultimately that um when you were even just like thinking about um culture building with anybody else what comes to mind is also like the stories what we've been programmed in the past from our parents that are like inadvertently and also subconsciously kind of impacting the way that we interact with others or others correct right culture is going to be established intentionally or unintentionally Mm -hmm. right there are norms that people will speak about and norms that people don't speak about and so if you're consciously in a, in a leader perspective in a company perspective, consciously wanting to create a culture, then as a byproduct of that, you're going to have to know a great deal about yourself so that you know the right questions to ask or the right patterns to recognize when you're bringing other people into that culture. And you can only know someone else as deep as you know you. So what I've figured out is the more I know my story the more I know where I come from, the the more I know about my blind spots, the more I can talk about those, which will bring up awareness and conversation about where other people may be bringing things into the culture that aren't going to help sustain or grow that culture. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's almost kind of like saying, um, wow. Um, I always say like in a relationship, there's your energy, right? Like your energy, my energy, and the relationship's energy. So the more yes. we come at it from a place of knowing ourselves fully and how that rubs up against other people, the more conscious we can be about creating something together, right? right? Whatever it means. And so that's really, yeah. Right. Or else you're, you might, you might get, you're going to get a lot of triggers, triggering triggers. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone's going to be like, well, oh, I thought you said this. Well, I thought you said that. Oh, well, that person doesn't like me. This, well, they have a different communication style than you. Then it's like, there's so many dynamics and no one tells you as a leader that you kind of have to be a psychologist. Now you yeah. have to be able to understand the underpinnings of human psychology, the, the light side and the dark side. And if you don't, then you're going to be rudely woken up by some sobering behaviors that you're going to be like, I can't, I couldn't believe that so-and-so could do that. Well, when you understand human nature, you, you don't really get as surprised anymore. It still hurts. It could still sting, but you've done enough work on yourself and you've read enough or observed enough that you can anticipate with greater accuracy. Nothing's ever foolproof, but you know, you'll have a greater sense of uh, confidence navigating uncertainty in, in that context and culture. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, since you were talking on the topic of culture, I know in the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned what kind of inspired your work or what began it, which is um, to some, was it like a coaching or a motivational speaker? Correct. Yeah. So Les Brown was the first person I ever listened to as like a motivational speaker type thing. And I just couldn't stop listening. It was like video after video, after video, after video. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's so good. Wow. I never thought about <laughs> and you know, I'm 22. So like, I'm super impressionable and obviously I want to grow. I have this internal drive to do the work. So it doesn't take much for me to get the fire going even stronger. Like I already had the fire, but then it's like the wildfire started and all it ne- all I needed was a few stories and someone to articulate it and bring the energy that I needed for me to be like, Whoa, yes, let's do it. Oh my goodness. I know, I hear that, but okay. So, but how do you, as a leader, as you're coaching people or your clients deal with the triggers that you're mentioning, right? Because I, as I'm reflecting back, like I had a similar experience where I joined a program that was on personal development. Um, I think I mentioned it too, it's called Landmark. And it, it like, I could sense how once you enter a space where you're being asked to question your own thinking, that it could be highly triggering. Yes. And people can either sit with that and take it as something that they might be willing to engage with, or they just might push it away. Right. Right. So um, my question is like, how do you instill in your clients or with the people you work with, um, more, let's just call it, um, more space, right. To be able to mm-hmm. hold that uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think that's super hard. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of elements and so let's, let's t- do our best to take it one at a time, right? First, if you're, if you're going to be a leader, one, you don't assign yourself to be a leader in my, well, let me take that back. There's two sides. You have to 
believe that you're a leader, but not proclaim that you're a leader. And then you also have to do things so consistently and add so much value or be a certain way consistently that other people now view you as a leader, right? So there's a self-esteem, self-efficacy type portion. And then there's a peer-reviewed kind of like, we support this type, you know, part of that too. So understanding that when you enter leadership, it's a heavy responsibility, and I don't think people truly understand what it takes to be a, a solid thought, like thought leader or any type of leader. Cause you're trailblazing, you're going to the unknowns, which means you have to be really comfortable with that, which means you have to know yourself so well that when you are in that uncertainty, you can be calm enough to navigate it. So that brings us back to self-awareness, right? So let's assume that you do that self-awareness and you're equipping yourself with the patience, the diligence, the the tact, the emotional savviness, all of that. Mm -hmm. Now you're in the unknown. And now you're asking people to enter that unknown with you. Yeah, that's the part. Those, (laughs) Those same people that probably haven't had the training that you've had or nor know that they can do that type of training or know about it, but just don't care about it. Right. So now they're in your boat. They're in that unknown with you. Yeah. So there's a psychological safety that you have to be able to create. And what that means is you have to be able to listen with either minimal judgment or no judgment, which is like, I don't even know if that's possible, but, as least amount of judgment as possible. And you do that by being present that you're genuinely interested in the exploration of someone's mind, right? When you're, when you're curious, you're not coming at it aggressively. You're not condemning them saying, Oh, you're stupid for believing that. Why do you, why, how did you get to that? It's more so like, okay, is, does this way of thinking support you and where you want to go? Well, no, it doesn't. Okay. Then I think we should look at that. What do you think? Yeah, I think we should. And it's always like a checking in with the person as they explore, because as long as they're bought in they're they're going to be more receptive to your questions, but also they're going to own the process more. Okay. If I'm a leader and I'm constantly giving people answers, I'm not teaching them how to be independent. I'm actually teaching them to be dependent. Mm-hmm. So, so you got to be able to listen. You got to be able to be as least judgmental as possible. And through those two things, you hear information. And when you hear it, then that's what allows you to formulate the right question that then unlocks their mind to understanding the way that I'm being and the way, then what I'm doing is not serving me. And it's not serving the people that I care about. And I'm not adding the value that I want to add. So that space that you talked about, that is that comes when the individual recognizes that there's room to grow and that they trust you enough to go on that journey like with you. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. But ultimately what I, what I hear you say is that as a means of enabling or inspiring people to build of more of that space for themselves, you do it for them as a leader, yes. Just non-judgmentally, right? To create that yeah. safe space uh, for them to then be able to step outside of themselves for a minute and be like, get more curious about why it is that they're reacting or tr- Correct. triggered, right? Right. But the only way I can do that is if I've done it yeah. or I've experienced it. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I want someone else to go deep into si- inside themselves and find something that they, they don't even know is there, have I done that? Because if I haven't, how am I going to help them navigate that? How am I going to know when they're there or when they found something? Because there's a certain look, there's a feeling, there's a way your tonality shifts. There's a way. You're, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then you're like, yep, that's it. I recognize that. I, I've been through that journey. And so there's a validation and a reinforcement that you can give to that person because you know what they're feeling and you know what they're going through. And that empathy is like, mm, that's, that's like the glue that keeps that process going, you know? Yeah. So, so you as a leader, you can only go, you can only lead your group or your team or your, your, you know, your other people as deep as you can lead yourself. Correct. 
man. And that's why, you know, when we work together and and obviously when we continue to talk, like I tell you about all these explorations that I'm going to, all these third world countries that I'm visiting, all these physical feats that seem crazy to people when I tell them, I do that to explore my own mind. Like I want to put myself in very uncomfortable positions to see how I respond. Who is James under pressure? Not when everything's good, when I'm reading a book and I can just, you know, tell you what I read yesterday, but more so like what's actual real experience that I can speak with conviction and I know exactly what it feels like. Cause that's where my words are going to have the most potency. And that's what I'm actually going to live most in integrity. And I think that combination is, is it pierces bias. It pierces context and culture. It, it, it's truth, my truth. Right. And that carries a certain, frequency that people hear and they're like "Mm, this is something i want to listen to oh my goodness that sounds like me a few years back where i was like i just want to live fast and experience (laughs) it all so that i can like live to say i've done that like let me tell you about it (laughs) you know Uh, but sometimes i find that man it all you said it's a process right you can't like rush the process because sometimes when you do you might get burned (laughs) right oh yeah i mean it's definitely a process can't skip steps yeah. And so I think for, for me, even like being coached with you, it's, it was about like, you would test me, right. To like try new things out. And they were scary at first. Like they were extremely scary. And I was like, no, no, like, I don't think I could do this. And it didn't feel well at first. Um, and so would you say that like the process of you kind of like stepping into that leadership is also a, a process of trial and error? Or are there any other components that you would say are important to do so that that process of like entering that feeling triggered space or when I rub up onto the space of like, Oh, I'm afraid of that. I don't want to, that I can make it easier for myself. Um, okay. I might need you to reframe that question, but I'll, I'll answer what I think you said. And I think, are you saying that there's what other components are there to leadership? Did I hear that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's, so- let's start with that. Um, I think at the fundamental level of what leadership is, leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's your ability to influence the way someone thinks, the way they behave, the way they perceive you and themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can do that many ways. You could do that through your actions. You could do that through your, your words. Uh, you could do that through both. <laughs> um, you can even do that through your presence. And that's like next level. Very few leaders can get to that position. But when you can walk into a room and just look at somebody and like in that moment, that person just knows what you're saying and what you're what like why you're there, man, that's, that's mastery, right? But for most of us, it's like, okay, consistent actions, like they're, oh, I can rely on that. Okay, that's influence. I'm, I'm, I'm influencing the way people are viewing me because I'm so consistent and reliable and dependable that people can count on me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like learning the power of language and the right words and depending on who you're speaking to, knowing them enough to know how they think so that you can articulate what you need to say in the way that they need to hear it so that the message is received, digested, and then acted upon. That is a skill. But it takes, to go back to our listening example, uh, you got to be able to listen. And in order to listen, you can't talk. And a lot of people think that leaders need to be able to talk. And it's like, not really. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to listen first because you could talk and not say anything of value or it's to, uh, it's a value, but it's not relating to anyone that you're talking to. So then now you're just spewing at the mouth, right? But when you can listen, then you know exactly what to say and how long to say it before you pass it back to them, whoever them is. Right, right. So like there's time, there's coaching sessions where I'll talk 80% of the time, very rarely. There's also times where I talk most, most of these like 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's me listening, listening. Okay, here's what you need to hear. There it is. Boom. Back to listening, back to listening, back to listening. Question, question, question. Listen, listen, listen. Answer, answer, answer. Or suggestion, suggestion, suggestion. Or strategy or story. Like sprinkling that without, but I don't know what information to use unless I know the person well enough to be able to influence them. Wow. And what if you don't necessarily know the person? Do you attune yourself to potentially the feeling that you notice is coming up 
as a yeah so that's a good that's a good question um because yeah because i've seen you um with your sessions where you kind of like bring someone together and there's either an emotion coming up or you're trying to connect with them on some deep level that maybe they're being triggered like how do you yeah yeah, so so i mean this skill builds as you do it longer and longer so i'm at the stage now where I always do the best I can to research, but let's just say I didn't have access to that. And someone asked me last minute and, you know, I'm just showing up mm-hmm. in that moment. One, I always arrive early, like an hour and a half early. At least I get into the environment because I'm, I'm a big believer that there's energy in that environment. And by exposing myself to it and opening myself up to it, I can get a feel, uh, the same way, you know, like an artist may touch the paint and get like a feel for what to paint or like there, I don't know, there's an intuitive spiritual connection that I have with this craft. I don't know if that's gift. I don't know if that's just me opening my, my senses, whatever it is. Um, you know, there, there's that for me. So by getting there early, I like plant into the environment. Then I watch dynamics I'm like watching how people may high five or do people like not talk to each other and they go and isolate themselves in their own little corner. Um, is, are they loud? Are they quiet? Uh, what are their postures? Like how fast are they walking? Are they taking notes before the meeting? Are they, does everyone show up early or people show up late? Like what are those behavioral things that I could observe Pattern. so in patterns? Exactly. So, so then, then all that's like pre-knowledge. Then I'm introduced, still watching. Then I actually say, thank you, my intro. As I'm saying this, I'm scanning the room for eye contact, for movements, for pen to paper moments, for um, just postures, and then still feeling. And and usually, I hope this is answering your question, usually around 10 to 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. the audience drops into this, this loud silence. It's weird. I I can hear it. I can hear it. It's so silent. It's loud. Very few places I can get that sound. You can only get that sound when you, uh, for me, when I travel to really high altitudes. So like when I went to Machu Picchu, felt it there, heard it there, but also in a room. And it's like this, it's the sound of buzzing attention. Yeah. Like focus. Presence. Exactly. Presence, right? There's a sound to it. And so that's my objective because when I get there, that's when the connection is so real that now when I explain the information, it's going straight to the subconscious or it's going so deep that they're not going to forget this knowledge. And then, you know, I have other techniques to make sure that the information sticks, but that's what I'm searching for in the first 10 to 20 minutes. Whoa. And all that, like the, um, you're observing everything that's happening and that always, yeah. Um, So presence, you have to, you have to be present for that. Right. Like, and then you have to have awareness to be able to, to be aware that you're doing that while also still talking about what's important and what they need to learn, you know? So skill, it's a skill. You know, I mean, that's a huge skill for any leader to have um, as you're building culture, because as you're seeing, as you're saying that I was thinking, you know, for leaders, it's really important to read the room, right? Read the room in um, how you are about to say things, right? Who your audience is and how you might come at them because you might say something that maybe will be like, you know, a curveball. Um, and are you going to do that intentionally or not? Right. right. Reading the room, you can, um, you can do it in an intentional manner. Exactly. Wow. That's so that's yeah, so if, if like, if like people are leaning back in their chairs, right? They're like, oh, like the vibe's like, oh, okay, here we go. Clearly what I'm saying is not working. Mm-hmm. So it would be insane for me to continue to do what I'm currently doing because if I do, I'm wasting everyone's time, my, my time included. Yeah, but ultimately reading the room is like one of the most key things in you being able to have powerful connections with others. Right. Um, and it kind of like one of the, the first things people should think about, but perhaps one of the smallest, simplest details that they don't take into account as they're going into a speaking engagement or anything like that. So super. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something else that I thought about um, this concept of already always listening. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Have you already? Oh, he's listening. No. So um, it's again, a, a landmark concept that talks about like, no matter where you are, people are always in the middle of something. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like right now, as we're speaking, there's something already happening, right? Um, so 
so I guess from, from my end on like coaching side with people, it's, it's take, taking whatever is landing in that moment, right? So people are sitting back or someone's getting triggered. There's already something happened in there that could be of use, right? For your coaching, for you to throw it back at them, to be able to say like, Hmm, what, why, why is that happening? Right. Right. That's coming from somewhere. And it comes probably back to our experiences with our parents, whatever, all the stuff in the, in the past. Um, so already always listening is that like, despite whatever we have going on, there's always something already happening um, that we can pull from. Yeah. Um, we, and that can be, that's also called noise. Yeah. The noise right? is up there. Like, yeah. And so you as a leader, <laughs> the way that you act and the way that you speak can turn down the knob of that noise and you can turn up your voice, not in loud projection, but more so in their head so that you are the predominant spotlight that they're focusing on, right? Like that, that is what I find great leaders do. They able to grab that focus and connect so that they can influence. And yeah, um, yeah. or like almost putting, using, you're tuning yourself to spotlighting what's already happening right then and there, right? For them to, to learn. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. So like, <laughs> right. It's almost, yeah. I'm trying to think of a visual to, to better help me explain that. It's so let's just say that we're in a theater and the person's mind that we're talking with, it has the spotlight already on something. Mm-hmm. I think what you're, you're saying, what I'm understanding is like, you could walk into that spotlight yeah. or you can sit next to them and say, Oh, that's interesting that you have the spotlight on that thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then be like, Oh wait, I didn't know you were paying attention to that. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I see it. I see it. It's on the spotlight. Yeah. And you're like, and you're like, Oh, you're, you actually care. And you're like, yeah, I care. And then they turn to you. Now the spotlight's off of the stage on you. And now you have their attention to achieve whatever goal or mutually beneficial thing there is. Wow. Yeah. That's not, that sounds to me like the importance of paying attention to the little details. Sometimes people don't realize how powerful that can be. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Well, um, I wanted to know if there's anything else that you would want to speak into as it relates to leadership and culture building. I know that you work with many teams and Mm -hmm. work with tons of people um, in building their their leadership skills. So how have you, um, yeah, is there anything else that you would want to speak into that might help leaders view culture building in a different way? How I view culture and how I define it is a group of people coming together with common values and beliefs. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. And so if you are consciously building your culture, then what you're doing is you're saying that these values are important to me and to the group. And we believe this, maybe we believe that we can offer X service if we're in this type of business, or we believe in constantly challenging the status quo, or we believe in whatever the thing is, the mission statement, if you will. Um, just be sure to, when you talk about that, to articulate it in simple, concrete, tangible ways, because it's so easy to put values on a, on a wall, but not have any definitions and just have people assume what that, what that means. And so you get a lot of disconnect and misunderstanding. You as the leader have to streamline that communication. You have to constantly be sharing that vision that the values and the beliefs you know, mo- bring you to like the, the values and the beliefs are the, the vehicle or at least part of the vehicle to get you to the vision that you as a leader have. So just be mindful about that. Um, and then wow. what else would I say? What else would I say? I would just say, continue your own self-awareness journey and continue to, to not be complacent in the information and the knowledge that you know. Because you may know a, a lot, right? But as Socrates said, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So the journey continues. And if you continue that journey, it's easier for you to tell other people to continue that journey because you'll be in, embodying it, but also you'll be reaping the benefits of it, which they will see, your people will see and wonder how you continue to do what you do. And then you're leading by example, you're blazing the trail that they can follow. So um, I think just making sure that you understand those two things. Yeah. So your actions really truly impact the way other people take action. So in the beginning of our conversation, you were, you were saying that consistency 
is one of the main things, right? So it's sharing your values, taking consistent action on the values. Right. Um, so that continues to inspire people to do the same. Um, yeah, I mean, that's super hard. I think one of the things that you mentioned to me is like, you know, if you have a goal in mind, um, I forget what it was. It was like one of the most powerful things I heard, um, which was, if I have a goal in mind, but I don't share myself consistently, I'm not necessarily stepping in, stepping into it as a leader in the fully embodied way that I want to. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you got a lot of hypocrites and a lot of um, false leaders, if you will, ones maybe that can talk really well, but when you watch what they do, they either do the exact opposite or don't do anything at all. And so you're just lip service at that point. And that, that I don't want for me, like that is, one of my biggest fears is like being out of integrity. You know, I, I, if I say something, I'm going to do it. Like I want to be known for that. And yeah. uh, so I strive to be that as much as I can, as often as I can. So that when I speak, it's not like, like I don't get paid to speak. Mm-hmm. I get paid to share and to share my knowledge and to share what I've learned. Um, and I only feel comfortable doing that if I know what I'm talking about because I've done it or I've been exposed to it or I've studied it for a ridiculously long time. You know what I mean? So, which, which sounds weird because when you first start a career, you may not have a lot of that, right? So there's a lot of courage that you have to have initially. And there's a lot of humility that you have to have when you're going out there for the first time and trying to convince people to give you a chance. Like when I went to that that corporate office, I was 24 years old talking to 40 and 50 year old executives and having to convince them that I could offer value, you know? And like, in my mind, part of me was like, well, what am I going to teach them? (laughs) I'm only 24. Like these people have lived way longer. I don't even know their industry, but, but I knew that if I committed myself to it, I can learn what I needed to learn in order to help them. And and that's what I did. Once they said yes, it was like a crash course and everything under the sun. No sleep, go like balls to the wall everywhere, you know? Uh, and I learned rapidly over the course of those 30 days. And when I was working with each of the employees, I wouldn't talk. I would ask and I would listen. And because I listened, then I learned what to study. Then I learned what to say. And, you know, that's how I, I believe I was able to keep those contracts for so long. Oh my goodness. Wow. I want to speak into something that you left me with actually, uh, which is related to what you just said. So um, you, you said embodiment. Um, and I think a lot of people go into conversation or they go into, they have a goal, right. And they want to accomplish it. They want to lead in a certain way, but they're like, I can't do that unless I have X or Y. Right. So one of the biggest lessons I learned with you as I was even building my own coaching business is that it, you know, most people approach it from, um, you know, first I have to have the credentials or the, the skills to be able to then say I'm the, the coach, the consultant. And while that, you know, you know, experience and knowledge and know-how is important, it doesn't necessarily work that way. It's be, do, then have, right? Mm-hmm. So first you have to be it. And you, you constantly said to me, embody it. You have to be it. Because if you're not resonating or, or kind of like in that energy, you actually can't take inspired action towards it. And so Correct. that's the game for me because... <laughs> As a leader for me, I was just like, okay, it doesn't matter that I'm afraid. It doesn't matter that I have some imposter syndrome. I'm like, I don't know if people will trust me. It just matters that I'm believing internally that I can actually do it. And if I do that, then I have the power to to then take action. And then over time, it will build. So um, that's one of the huge uh, lessons that I learned from you, um, even building myself as a, like my own, in my own leadership style. So do you? Yeah. That's beautiful. I know it's been amazing to watch you evolve so much since, you know, we started working with each other. But like to that, when you know the work that you've been putting in, when you know the late hours that you've been spending, the the blood, sweat and tears, so to speak, that you've been cultivating over the years or or even over the months, but you've just been really dialed in and super intentional. Then when someone questions you, you don't get defensive you you remember all the effort that you've been putting into it so you can stand firm a lot longer yeah because yeah. you're not lying to yourself right when when you know you're not doing the work and then someone quest, questions you on your credentials and you're like 
well, you know, I, but I, I know how to do this. Then you get really mad that someone spotted it. And now you begin to defend yourself and now you get flustered and now you've lost leverage in that conversation. Whereas if you've been working your ass off for three months mm -hmm. and it's been like book after book, interview after interview, knocking after knocking, uh, attempt after attempt. And someone says, well, what makes you credible? Well, you, you can speak to what you've done. It doesn't necessarily matter how long. That's right. It just matters how much effort and how much intentionality you have behind the work and are, is there progress? Yes, there's progress. Okay. Then focus on the progress because if we take that and compound it year one, year five, year 10, year 20, oh my gosh, you're going to be in totally different. And I don't think people think like that. Yeah. So, but ultimately it's kind of like saying like at, sometimes action comes before having the confidence. But, almost, almost all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I like, I think when you, I know that you're, you're, you're putting out a program now that really speaks to like fears and imposter syndrome. And I would say like, when, you know, I was, I was working with you, that was one of the things that I said is, you know, you know, I'm just going to take action because the more I take action, I can almost use it like a, as a sticky note for what I could do better. And over time it got easier. Right. And so, um, for any other leaders that are kind of trying to overcome like fear or imposter syndrome, how would you say they should go about it? Because I thought it was really challenging and it really mm -hmm. was an internal shift around yeah. just saying, I'm going to do it regardless of the outcome. Right? Yeah. So I, so there's a couple ways one can look at imposter syndrome. I think the connotation is that it's a negative thing. Mm -hmm. it, I think most people would view it like that. I see it maybe a little bit different. I could see how it could be negative, but I also see how it could be a positive because the imposter syndrome is showing up because it's, it's exposing you to information or experience that you don't have in some cases. So like, for example, like, let's say you get a client that makes more money than you or who is at a fortune 500 company and you've never been there before. You know, maybe you are quote unquote small time business, but this is the next level, right? So part of you may be like, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. This, are you sure you want me to be your coach? And I have, I have felt that many times, you know, getting invited to speak at Nike or going in to work with Caesars. Like there was a feeling of, oh man, am I ready for this? And yeah. so, so that feeling was accurate. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to that level. I don't know what it's like. Yeah. So I can say because I've never experienced it or because I don't know, other people are more qualified. I could say that or I could say, man, am I ready for this? I don't know, but let's make sure. Right. <laughs> let's do the work. Let's ask the questions. Let's meet with the people we need to meet so that we can feel more comfortable you know, when that opportunity presents itself and when I actually have to go in and work with these clients. And so I think if you can spin it in that direction where you're saying, yeah, I, I've never been there before mm -hmm. and I am fearful and part of me doesn't feel like I belong here, but I'm not going to let that grow in momentum. I'm going to channel that energy into research, into studying, into whatever action steps I need to take so that I'm prepared at least to the best of my ability before I go through with that thing. Wow. So almost looking at imposter syndrome or the fear that comes up as the space for you to be able to step into growth and like, yeah, exactly. Wow. Really Because cool. anytime you do something new, anytime you have a goal, anytime you have a goal, it is always out of your comfort zone. Always. Yeah. If you have a goal inside your comfort zone, that's not a, that's not a goal. <laughs> that's right. Like, the whole point of a goal is to go somewhere you've never been, Yeah. which means there's uncertainty, there's discomfort, there's obstacles and challenges. And I don't know how many, I don't know how long it'll take, but I, I guarantee you that those are there. So what you're feeling, that fear is normal. Fear is not bad. Fear is just a, Hey, you're going to a space where you haven't been before. Mm -hmm. Be on high alert. That's how I see it anyway. Got it. Very cool. Um, thank you so much. Um, let's see. So I know we're coming um, close to the hour. So I just want to be mindful of your time. I have a few rapid fire questions, but I did want to 
um, just kind of open it up to see if you had any other questions or if you wanted to speak into anything else that I know that you've been working on as you have been building your business and building, you know, working in different cultures. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Any kind of trends that you've kind of observed um, or any other takeaways that you might want leaders to consider as they yeah. are. I think, I think this one's coming up for whatever reason, just being called to share this one, but the difference between balance Mm -hmm. and harmony. Oh, speaking to that, please. Yeah. So as a leader, you have enormous amounts of responsibility and with that responsibility comes energy, time, money, resources that you have to allocate in order to execute on the tasks or whatever you're responsible for in that area, which means other areas of your life are going to not get attention. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people do, myself included for the longest time, is we try and balance things. I'll give 50% of my time here and 50% of my time here, and life does not work like that. Mm -hmm. And so I find that in my clients and in myself that when when leaders focus on the balancing, they, they get more stressed out because they're trying to make it all even and it will never be even. There's going to be times where your business is going to need more of you and then times where you're going to spend more time with your family and it's not going to equal out. It mm-hmm. just won't. And so rather than going with, I got to balance everything, ju- you just got to say, it's not a thing and you and go over to harmony. And harmony means just being present where you are. When you're at work, be there until you're not at work. And then when you go home, be at home. When you're in the gym, be at the gym. When you're going on a walk in the morning, be on the walk. And cultivating this level of mindfulness and presence has higher ROI. And I think what you'll find is if you let go of the balance thing and you say, hey, I have eight hours at work to get through whatever I got to get through. Phone on airplane mode, close the door off of your office, do whatever you got to do, execute, 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 be present, be present, be present. But once that timer goes off, done on to the next thing and really being enforcing those boundaries that I've seen be way more effective, not just from a psychological perspective and how you view what you're doing, but more so in a, um, I don't know, just an energy conservation way. You're not yeah. going back and forth thinking, Oh, I got to save some of my energy, uh, for later because I have this really important thing. And right now I got to do this, but I'm only going to do it 60% so that I can do it something a hundred percent later. And it's like, Meh. I just don't know if that's a thing. I, I haven't seen that work. Yeah. So, so uh, what, I'm, what, you're, what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is um, in order for a leader to kind of very effectively build culture, if they have many things going on and they're balancing many things, the importance is presence, right? Presence in their day-to-day because that allows them to kind of like more fluidly get all the stuff done that they have without necessarily trying to like, balance or give more priority to one thing or the other. Right. And in order to be present, there's a lot of aspects that go into that. You got to be organized. You got to be able to delegate. You got to be able to, uh, eat right, get enough sleep. There's a lot of things that go into you being able to be present. So those things would also have to be in order, but the pinnacle of the mountain, if you will, is to be so present that all of you is in the moment, almost not necessarily flow, but flow like, you know, like, in a one-on-one conversation that could take 30 minutes, it could take 10 minutes if you're truly there, not worrying about all the other things that you have to get done, you know, which is easier said than done. But that that's the goal to strive for. And um, that, that's at least what's worked for me and, and my clients. Yeah, And again, when you're so present, people can feel it in your energy, then you radiate that out to them and then it impacts how they function too. So that, you know, and start impacting your, your own team. Well, thank you so much, Jean. So I heard, you know, I've heard about your background as to you know, what led to the work that you're doing. We talked um, about um, leadership and culture and how you can arrive at creating balance and harmony. And also, uh, wow. Um, and also, you know, thank you for letting me share about my own experience working with you and the things that I've come away with um, in building my own leadership style through working with you. Um, so I have some rapid fire questions and these, you've got to answer them like real short and some of them might be a little fun at the end. Um, okay. so, that are, so, um, just rapid fire. So one word for this. So culture is blank. Uh, essential. Okay. 
Communication is hard because blank. Lack of self-awareness. Okay. The quick and dirty trick to collaborating effectively is blank. Removing ego. Wow. Community to me feels like blank. Unity. All right. Bad communication looks like blank. Single-mindedness, selfishness. All right. Effective team building depends on? Common goals and values. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Um, so I have a few more. And this is, um, this is uh, I was inspired by, um, I don't know if you know Brene Brown, but she has this awesome podcast. So some of these questions are uh, directly from her. I just want to quote her here. So what is one thing people often get wrong about you? Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Often get wrong. They th- okay, yeah. They think that I'm just a motivational speaker. Oh, okay. You're definitely not. I mean, I've... No, it's... I mean, that's. Just, I think it's easy for people to understand briefly what I do, but it's so much deeper. It's It's a psych... It's borderline psych... Like therapeutic psychology, strategy. There's so many f- other fundamentals, but motiv- you feel motivated after talking, that's for sure, because there's clarity and, and all those other things, but... I think that would probably be the biggest one. Okay. Um, you also touched on this briefly earlier, but what's one childhood memory that has majorly impacted how you move through the world today and in your work specifically? Mm, so many. <laughs> Just one. Real powerful. From childhood? Is there like a span of age? Uh, maybe from one to eight years old. Let's try that. I, I had a huge influence. I mean, my, my, my time, the age of seven to eight was really powerful. So. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, just some memories with my brother, uh, just playing in our backyard and me accidentally <laughs> tackling him and having him having to get stitches in his head. uh yeah so it's just a lot of my i think a lot of moments with fun and also fear and uh danger (laughs) with my brother all right very cool so um this is culture and cafecito so i wanted to know if you were a type of coffee what would you be or if you were a drink of choice what would you uh like so where the coffee or how how would i be made um well i like it whatever you could take it like for me i'm a chai uh got it because I'm a little bit of sweet, but you know, you've got to put the caffeine in there as well. I think I'd just be black, just yeah. straight, just drip, so, uh, not, not drip, like a, probably either a French press black coffee or a, uh, um, what do they call it? Pour over, I'd say. Okay. And why? What, why? I just love <laughs> the process of, of make, of getting to the end result. You know, like with a drip, you just kind of put it in and it, it drips in. But with the French press, at least how I do it, and I'm sure there's more efficient ways of doing it, but I grind the beans and then I heat the water and then, you know, you pour it into the French press and, and then you steep it and, and then you pour it. And like that, that there's a really cool process. It takes me about five to 10 minutes to make that. And so there's a lot of intention for me that goes into that process. And so I like having having known all the steps to get to what I'm drinking. Right. And then the pour over is cool because you need a specific nozzle that the water comes out of and you go into a specific motion and then it filters through the the filter there and, and then it ends up in your glass. And so I, I like being able to see the process and then having fun along that way, ultimately being able to enjoy that coffee. So, um, yeah. Really cool. All right. And this is my last question. And this is more of like for me, but also for your audience here. Um, for any leader that's looking to build team culture or simply be a leader for themselves, what's one last piece of advice you would give them in today's time, you know, that you would say would make them or differentiate them um, as they're growing? Check out Project Aristotle, mm-hmm. Google's research. Uh, that will enlighten anybody on leadership and culture. And then uh, leadership is a, some, in most cases, can be a thankless job. 
So if you're getting into it, wanting the thank yous or wanting the validation from others, just be prepared not to get that. It's more so about the service and it's only for the service. So if you're doing it for any other way, then um, it's not rooted in my opinion in what it needs to be in order to withstand enormous amounts of challenge. Wow. So leadership requires it's, it's yeah. Service. So you are of service when you are a true leader. Got it. All right. Thank you so much. Well, this concludes another episode of Culture and Cafecito. It was super awesome to, to chat with you and uh, just to hear about your experience and how you view the world. Um, thank you for, for being here and I hope to connect again. Thank you. Likewise. Well, thank you so much for joining me once again for the Culture and Cafecito podcast. I hope that you enjoy your coffee and hope that these conversations inspire you to keep connecting authentically. Have a great one and hope to see you soon.